to... I have preached this before in the last year, and uh, I don't apologize for that. It's not that I haven't got anything else new to say. Um, we're going to be looking at Barnabas over the next three weeks, but I thought I'd like to remind you of what I have said already, particularly because next week we're going to eat together, all right? And uh, this is an amazingly encouraging portion of Scripture theologically, but then there's a very practical application that, that Paul challenges uh, Peter and Barnabas with, and we're going to look at that again. And you have heard this before, but I'm going to remind you again of what these you know, great, great doctrines only have effect when we live them out. Isn't that true? And it's wonderful to believe right, but there's something more powerful that happens when you actually start to walk in that in your life. And when you start to walk in it in your life, then there's real power. And so that's what I'd like to present this portion to you with. There's a, a very practical application and there's a great theological truth that Paul reminds these guys of that we, we sang about this morning. <coughs> I no longer live, but it's Christ that lives in me. I've been crucified with Christ. This life I live in the flesh. This life I live in my body. I live by faith in Jesus. We sang about it this morning. And that's what Paul lands on in the second half of this chapter. But in the first half of the chapter, we're going to look. He has a real challenge for his friends. All right? And here, let's read together in verse 11 of chapter 2 of Galatians. When Cephas came to Antioch, remember that's Peter, Cephas. When he came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. For before certain men came from James... He was eating with the Gentiles, but when they came, he drew back and he separated himself, fearing the, cir the circumcision party. And the rest of the Jews acted hypocritically along with him, so that even Barnabas was led astray by the hypocrisy. But when I saw that their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas before all of them, If you, though a Jew, live like a Gentile and not like a Jew, how can you force the Gentiles to live like Jews? We ourselves are Jews by our birth and not Gentile sinners, yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ, not in works of the law, because by works of the law, no one will be justified. But if, in our endeavor to be justified in Christ, we are found to be sinners, is Christ then a servant of sin? Certainly not. For if I re rebuild what I tore down, I prove myself to be a transgressor. For though the law, so, the, sorry, for through the law I died to the law, that I might live to God, I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life that I now live in the flesh, in this body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me, who gave himself for me. I do not nullify the grace of God, for if righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. It really is a, a really chunky uh, portion of Scripture and such an encouragement to us as a church. Remember, we're exploring the freedom that we have in Jesus and what that looks like. And so, this portion really, is, uh, um, Paul is challenging Peter and he's challenging Barnabas 
who've been led astray by these guys that are saying you need to become Jewish culturally to, to become Christians. He's challenging them in a very direct way. And he's, he's really saying, as believers, all of our lives come into line with the great truth that we hold to, that we are justified by faith in Jesus. And there are practical applications of that. And so that's what Paul is reminding these guys of. He's saying, you believe this amazing truth that it doesn't matter where you come from, your background, doesn't matter your education, anything of, of those kind of things. What matters is that you believe in Jesus and you are justified, you are made right before God by faith in Christ. And then he's, he's trying to change them and saying, actually, every area of your life over the course of your life increasingly comes into line with this great truth that you hold to. And it's the same for all of us. I don't know about you, but that's what it means to walk with Jesus. I know that I'm very different now to what I was 10 years ago. And I hope in another 10 years, I will be even more different. I will be more like Jesus. I thank, thank, I'm thankful for all that God has done in my life, but I'm trusting Him by the power of the Spirit that He's going to continue to show me those areas of my life that still need to conform to the freedom of the gospel that He's brought me into. Are you with me? And that's what Paul is reminding his friends of in this very practical application. And so we know, and we've been looking for the last number of weeks, that um, Paul had gone to Jerusalem to speak with the apostles and to establish, to root us, and, to, and, and actually uh, to ensure for the future of the church that this great truth unites us all, that we are saved by grace through faith. That's what we are rooted in. We are justified by faith in Jesus, nothing else. And that's what he goes to uh, affirm with the other apostles. And he stands with Peter, and he agrees with Peter in Jerusalem. And they, they agree, they shake hands and say, yep, this is what we hold to. Now, Peter comes to Antioch. Remember, this is in Galatia, the area of Galatia, the city of Antioch, where Paul has um, established this Gentile church. So Peter comes, and he comes to speak with the other apostles. And um, now, Paul opposes Peter to his face. So he had agreed with him in Jerusalem, and now he opposes him to his face. He says, Paul, I have to, um, Peter, I have to disagree with you. There's something that you need to see that you've gone astray in, the, in your own life. I, mean, I don't know about you, but this, we are, none of us are exempt from what God expects of us in terms of our lives conforming to the gospel. Peter was one of the founding apostles of the church. He was the, he was the big cheese. He was one of the guys. And when he comes to Antioch to visit um, Paul, Paul opposes him in front of everybody else and says, Peter, you, as a founding apostle, you need to bring your life into line with the gospel that you say you believe. Isn't that incredible? <laughs> he challenges him. And he challenges him on a very practical little thing. He says, actually, you've changed your eating habits. And you used to eat with everyone in the church. And your heart was open. And now these guys, they were influenced by James. James brings these guys who start talking about we need to become Jewish. And now you've withdrawn and all the people, all your mates, all the people in the church that you used to eat with and you used to have fellowship with, you've withdrawn and you no longer eat with them. What is wrong with you, Peter? And he says, this thing has become so surreptitious, it's even Barnabas, the great encourager that has encouraged 
and birthed this church has become influenced by you, and he's doing the same thing. Even Barnabas, who, who saw this church birthed and grow, has been influenced by your wrong thinking. What is wrong with you, Peter? <laughs> and we know, we've talked about these things over and over, but um, the Jewish people held to only eating certain foods, and you know all that stuff that we've talked about, ceremonial law. But the irony is that Peter was one of the original guys that God spoke to about the Gentiles. And if you remember, um, in uh, portions like Acts chapter 10, Peter has this vision. He has a vision of this cloth that comes down from heaven. And on the cloth are every kind of animal that would have been traditionally unclean for Jews to eat. And he hears the voice of God say to him, Kill Peter, take your knife and kill and eat those animals, and he says, no, I'm not going to do that, I'm a a good Jew, I'm not going to eat what is unclean, and the voice from heaven says again, kill and eat, and the voice from heaven says this to him, it says, what God has made clean, do not call unclean, and so he has this revelation that God is talking to him about the nations of the world, he's not just talking about food, It's 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 a picture of what God is saying, and immediately after, after that, there's this guy called Cornelius, who's a Gentile. And he, he comes to, to um, Peter and says, I, I want to know how to f- be saved. Help me. I'm not a Jew. I'm a Gentile. Help me. And Cornelius is radically, wonderfully saved. <laughs> and in Acts 10, verse 34, uh, it, it records this. Luke records this. Truly I understand that God shows no partiality. This is Peter speaking. But in every nation, anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. And so Peter has already had this revelation from God, this prophetic picture, this amazing demonstration in his own life of what God is saying about the nations of the world, that salvation is for all the nations of the world. And as a result of that, Peter is criticized, but he doesn't, he, at that point, he doesn't... Um, hold back. He, he eats with the Gentiles and he, he even argues with the other Jews and says in Acts 15 that all nations have been purified, made clean by faith in Jesus. And I'll read it to you. It's uh, Acts 15 verse 7. After there had been much debate, Peter stood up and said to them, brothers, you know in the early days God made a choice amongst you that by my mouth the Gentiles would hear the word of God and believe. And God, who knows the heart, bore witness to them by giving them the Holy Spirit, just as he did to us. And he made no distinction between us and them, having cleansed their hearts by faith. I mean, Peter has been rooted in this in his own life. It's this revelation he had had previously. And now, in in the church in Antioch, he withdraws from this position because he's he's been influenced by these guys that have come and said, you need to be circumcised. And he's demonstrating hypocrisy in his life. In other words, he's no longer living in step with the gospel. He's no longer living in line with the gospel. And he does this because he's afraid. That's what it records in verse 12. It says he and Barnabas were afraid of these, these guys that had come into the church. And so they withdraw from fellowship um, with other people. And I'm sure that uh, some racism entered in. Because right from the very beginning, it would have been drilled into Peter's head since his uh, youth as a, as, a, as a Jew, that other nations were unclean. And so prob- probably there was this, this kind of superiority that had crept in, um, that perhaps there was inferior culture or inferior racial background. And Peter really was showing that cultural difference had, 
had become more important to him than gospel unity. And that's what we've been looking at for the last couple of weeks about what gospel unity looks like, that we are one in Christ, we are one in the gospel. And so Peter, the founding, the, the father of the church, is demonstrating in his own life at this point that he's placing cultural things above the freedom that we have in Christ and the unity that we have in Christ. And I want to say this, that in, our, in this church, and I, I'm trusting for our city, St. Albans, that um, we, we increasingly will cross, cross over cultural lines. We'll in, increasingly cross over ethnic lines in this church. Not in a staged way, not in an artificial way, not in a programmed way, in a simple, free, natural, relational way that we will be able to relate to people from many different backgrounds and cultures because of the gospel that set us free. That's my prayer. And I want to say, we haven't just, um, there's a reason why we want to eat together. <laughs> there's a theolo- theological reason I want us to eat together. I-, I love food. I absolutely love all kinds of food. But I've said this before, there's something about gospel freedom that we celebrate when we eat together. We are saying that we are looking beyond our cultural limitations and ethnic backgrounds, and together in Christ we're enjoying each other's friendship, relationship, and the way that we do that is through food. And that's exactly what Peter's been challenged on by Paul. It's a great theological truth, just expressed in a very, very practical, simple way. (laughs) So I'm encouraging you. Next week, when someone brings something that you don't, have never tried, I want to encourage you to be brave and to try it. I really do. <laughs> Perhaps you, you haven't ever experienced um, a curry from Nigeria. Well, just try. No, it's too hot. <laughs> Welsh cake. There we have something. And you hear what, what I'm trying to say. Let's, 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 in a practical way, eat together, enjoy things that we wouldn't normally enjoy, and enjoy each other's culture. And so, it's learning to walk straight. That's what I'm trying to say. It's interesting to me that the word orthodox, you know, author, all ortho means is straight. Ortho means straight. So, orthodox belief is, should presume to be belief that is straight. It's not going this way and that way. When you go to an orthodontist, why do you go to an orthodontist? Because your teeth are skew. An orthodontist makes your teeth straight. Ortho, straight. Dentist, teeth. Orthodontist, straight teeth. And so all of our lives need to be, we need to be learning in every area of our life to walk straight, to walk in line with the gospel, not to be doing this with our lives. One moment I hold to this, one moment I hold to that. No, we walk straight as the gospel impacts us more and more and transforms us from the inside. We start to conform all of our lives into the truth and into line with the gospel. And so... Paul is really saying two things, and I'm, I'm, very, I'm not going to speak long this morning. He's, re- he's really just saying this, that the gospel is a message. It's a claim of truth. And the message is that we are weak and we are sinful, and that we want to control our lives, that we want to try and save ourselves. And so we either try and save ourselves through obeying rules, or we try and save ourselves by saying, I'm not going to let anybody tell me what to do, I'm free. And we know these words. The one is, li- is licentiousness. The other is legalism. 
And the, the, the gospel is neither of those things. It's a radical middle of freedom. And the gospel message says this also, though, that even though we are weak sinners and we are flawed, that God loves us perfectly, incredibly, with the whole of his heart, even while we are like that, and he begins to transform us. This is the great love of God that we sang about this morning. While we were still dead in our sin, while we were still dirty, rotten scoundrels, God perfectly loved us. Perfectly. He cannot, God cannot love us any more perfectly than He already has loved us with the perfect love of Jesus. And as we realize that and we come into relationship with Him, He transforms us powerfully from the inside by the power of His Holy Spirit. Ah, it's good news, man. This is the gospel. And so Paul is really saying that very simple thing. And secondly, he's saying, as he challenges Peter with how he's, with how he's eating, he's in a very practical way, like I've said, he's saying, Peter, all of your life is, is, is this great truth. There are implications for the whole of your life with this great truth that you believe. And every area of your life must come into line with the gospel. That's why I said, 10 years ago, I was one man. Now I'm a completely different person. And I hope in another 10 years I will be a completely different person as well. I hope Helen will be able to recognize that I'm st still... <laughs> who's this man that I've made? So, I wanted to say to you, and I want to encourage you, this is really my heart this morning, that we don't make the same mistake as Peter. Okay? And all of us have the potential to make that mistake. Peter's problem was nationalism. Now, I've watched my big Greek wedding many times, and I know that perhaps the Greeks do think that they are the most superior nation in the world. It's true, hey? <laughs> I love that movie. It's so wonderful. The, the, the father of the house is always saying things like, you know, they, they talk about words, and there's always a Greek word root to every word. <laughs> and then he says things like, your, well, your people... Yeah, you we're doing this. My people were building these great monuments that the world's inherited and stuff like that. It's, it's a delightful movie. If you haven't seen it, please do see it. But uh, Peter's problem really was that his, his, his confidence was in his nationality. That's what it was. It was a problem of nationalism. And why do I say this today? It's because, you know, it's very interesting to me in the Europe right now that there again is a rising problem of nationalism. Have you noticed that? All over Europe... People, we've had this um, European Union for about 20 years or whatever, but now people are suddenly pushing against that and saying, actually, I want to be Greek. So the Greeks are voting this weekend, uh, and uh, there's a concern that actually the far right is going to get into power. People who are very nationalistic are going to get into power. And Marie Le Pen in France, who's a very nationalistic is, there's a growing strength of the right in, um, in, in, in France. I have a friend that lives in Dresden. They've had, uh, that was Eastern Germany, now unified, and they lead a church there. There's this movement in Germany, which is calling itself the anti-Islamization of Germany movement, and they are getting 20, 30, 40,000 people marching through the streets protesting. And it's essentially a nationalistic thing, saying we are putting our confidence in who we are, our culture, our nation, to make us acceptable. And our, and our, our culture is superior in some way to someone else's culture. Now, when are we, we going to learn from history? 
Haven't we seen this before? Now, all I'm trying to say to you is that whenever there's that kind of nationalism, it's really a form of legalism. It really is. It's saying that it's looking to something outside of Christ to make us acceptable and to make us acceptable before God. And so it always results, that kind of thing always results in fear. It always results in exclusion. It always results in social strife. And so let me take focus off that and put focus onto the church because uh, we can't really tell the world how to live, but we certainly can live differently in the church. Christian groups and denominations do exactly the same thing. They emphasize the practices that make them different from other churches. And in some ways, if we get distracted from the gospel that is the central thing that we preach, we can subtly start to say to people that actually our church is the best church because we do things this way. (laughs) And those guys are good guys, but their church is not as good as our church. Are you with me? You hear what I'm saying? And so it can be a trap that we can easily fall into that we start stressing differences rather then showing what actually has brought us together in the first place is the freedom of Jesus and the freedom of the gospel. And so I wanted to say again to you, in our, in, in our, and I'm not trying to be political, I'm not trying to in any way, but I'm just trying to say in terms of our society, where we, how we live in the UK, I read recently that there are now seven different social classes in the UK. Seven. And um, I was in the... Where was I with Matthew? Sorry? Ealing. I was in Ealing this week. Matthew was doing a a thing, application for university there. And uh, I was amazed how many languages I heard. I was sitting in a costa doing some work, and I couldn't hear English. It was absolutely incredible. It was every language around me, Italian, Portuguese, there was Polish, there was whatever, in this little coffee shop in Ealing. And I just thought, what an amazing place we live in. I found that incredibly encouraging and positive. God is bringing the nations of the world to us so they can be saved. I think it's incredible. And so, all I'm trying to say to you is, as, as we have to learn to, to live in this new kind of multicultural society, and as we learn to live in a church culture that is showing something of what heaven must be like, surely then we can't look down on anybody because of what Jesus has done in us. So if you have lots of money can be tempting to look down on people that don't have money. Or if you're very artistic and gifted artistically, you can, you can sometimes look down on people that are not gifted artistically and think that they are, they are not as good as you. It's true. I, I read something this morning before I um, got up. The BBC reporting on Davos. You know this conference they're having talking about how we can uh, help nations that are poor. And the headline was just saying, uh, we think of the wealthy as billionaires. And uh, we think of, you know, Richard Branson. He's, he's wealthy. And when we think of the wealthy, we think he's wealthy. And they were just challeng- the whole article was challenging what we think wealth is. And this is what they said. They said, if you have assets in your life of 530,000 pounds... 530,000 pounds. So in other words, if you live in a home that is worth 530,000 pounds, which is the average price of a house in London, 
and if you pay that off during your life, or if you have any other assets that total about half a million pounds, you are in the top 1% of the wealthiest people in the world. Uh, we think Richard Branson's wealthy. No, my friends, you and I are incredibly wealthy. And I'm not, I'm not trying to accuse anyone. I'm just saying, let's see the world a little bit differently. We are wealthy. We have much to give. We have much that we can bless other people with. And the poor. And so, I'm just encouraging us that we see everyone in God's church is equal before Christ. And this is really um, what Peter has to learn, the, the founding apostle of the church. Uh, it's true that we feel culturally comfortable with people that are from a similar culture to us, and that's, that's not unexpected. But I want to encourage us that we learn to love everybody because Christ has loved us perfectly, all of us, and so we, should, we too, that same love that's transformed our lives, we should be giving that away to each other. And so I really do love, uh, in this church I've had the privilege of meeting people from many different cultures, and it's, such a, it's a privilege of, of church life. It really is. And so whatever background you're from, it's a, it's a delight to have you here. And I, I hope that this truly, this church, we're trusting this church will become a picture of heaven on earth. Every tribe, every culture, every people group coming together because of what Christ has done for us. Amen? And so this is the, this is the thing that we have to guard against is that sometimes in very subtle ways, we make cultural preferences more significant than they are. And we give our cultural pref preferences moral significance. And we say that actually our cultural preferences are mor morally higher than other people's. We put, we, we put, a, we put a, a moral thing onto our cultural preferences that is not there. It's not true. And so I want to encourage you that there's um, many styles of worship that we can enjoy in the church. <laughs> Not, no one is better than the other. They're just styles of worship. <laughs> They're just expressions. God has made us all different. Um, there are many ways that people preach. None, is, none of them are right or wrong. They're just different expressions of how people preach. Um, they're not better than each other. You hear what I'm trying to say? And let's not fall into that trap where we, we, we kind of um, start to do, uh, live like that. Uh, so I want to say then, I hope, my prayer, is that our response will become more like Paul's. You see, because Paul, he looked behind what was going on, and he didn't just address the behavior. He didn't just say to um, Peter, Peter, you are being rude, mate. Just snap out of it. Stop being so rude. And Peter was being rude. He was. He was being completely rude. He was being obnoxious. He, he, what does he do? He, he kind of is, is wiser than that. He, he reminds Peter. He says, Peter, I want to remind you, God didn't have fellowship with you because of your race or because of your culture, because you were good, because you were devout. He had fellowship with you purely based on Jesus. That's why God has had fellowship with you. And now you, Peter, I want to remind you, that's the basis that you have fellowship with anyone else. Not because of your race and your culture and your feeling of superiority or whatever it is. You have fellowship with others purely because of Jesus. That's what brings us together. And so Paul doesn't say to Peter... Racism is a sin, which it is. 
He uses the gospel to show Peter the roots of his mistake and why his life was resisting the gospel at that point. Peter was resisting the freedom of the gospel at that point in his own life. The founding father of the church was resisting the gospel. Was saying, actually, I'm not putting my trust right now in that. I'm putting my trust in the fact that I'm a Jew. That's really what God is pleased with. And so it has all sorts of implications for us in, in how we live our lives. And sometimes we don't see the fact that we've, we, we behave in a way that says, I'm a little bit superior to you. Um, and it's sometimes easy if you're part of a racial majority, it's easier to see cultural pride. But if you're a member of a, mon- a minority, um, it's sometimes more difficult to see. But what, what the, real, the real issue is that begins to surface is, is that uh, I'm, you know, I'm more noble than you because I'm not oppressing you like you're oppressing me. And it's the same root. It's the same thing. And so I want to put it to you that Paul's approach is radically different. And uh, he just reminds people of the gospel all the time. And he pushes them back to the great truth that they hold to. I want to say to you, I feel in the church, this is a way, this is the right way to handle people that disagree with us. It's a very practical way of of getting on with people in the church. People that oppose you or don't hold similar views to you. Um, we, we need to urge people towards the freedom of Christ and the great truth that gospel, the, the gospel of Jesus and the grace of God is brought for us. That's, that's what we need to urge people to. If we try and threaten people and say, well, you don't believe like me, and uh, it's unlikely that person is ever going to feel respect for the person that they are threatening. And you're never going to win that person over, are you? <laughs> never. They'll just immediately feel, you're not for me. That's it. Why should I listen to what you... You're not for me. You don't love me. And so I want to I encourage you that as we learn to live in the freedom of the gospel, and the gospel is transforming us, we can challenge people with love. We don't challenge the outward behavior. What we just say, at this point, are you sure that your life is in line with the freedom of the gospel? Or are you putting your trust in something else? That's what we need to do. Point people to Jesus. Point people to the freedom that God has brought for them. Remind them once again that they are free because of the kindness of, of God and the, and the generosity of God and that same freedom we extend to everybody else. And I want to just point you to one last thing. Remember, Peter, his problem was fear. His problem was fear. He was afraid of those that came. He was afraid. I want to just say to you, so many problems in our lives are rooted in fear. Fear. We are afraid of someone's reaction. We are afraid of this. We are afraid of that. No, let's allow the grace of God to transform. In perfect love of Christ expels all fear. There's nothing to be afraid of. Jesus is for us. And so I want to encourage you as we embrace many nations in this church and people become part of Forest Sound Church here, that we really do continue to build the church in a gospel-founded way, a gospel-centered way, a Christ-centered way, that everybody that comes will find a home here. That's my longing of my heart. Whatever background people come from, that they will find a home here.
What does the grace of God look like in your life? And remember, the same grace that God showered on you, He wants to shower on everyone else that He brings into His kingdom. And so I, w- I want to just finish with a couple of questions for all of us. And like I said to you, we're all on this journey, and part of what the ministry we enjoyed yesterday was, again, just saying there are parts of our lives that still need to come into the freedom of the gospel that God has for us. So I want to ask you, as I ask myself, how can you, in your life this week, just walk a little bit more in line with the gospel in your life? What attitudes need to die? What things maybe you've lived with for many years, just ways you've thought of doing things? Maybe God will show you this week there's something in that that's not right, that needs to change because it's not in line with the gospel. And I don't say that to accuse anyone. I'm on this journey with you. There are many things that I need to change. If you want to ask what they are, speak to Helen. She'll tell you there's many things. And then I want to encourage you as we eat together next week. Eat with everybody. (laughs) Eat with everyone. Have fellowship with everyone. Yeah? Sometimes it can be formal. We can sit in the pew next to each other, but we don't really eat with each other. Let's eat with each other. Let's have fellowship. Let's open our hearts and show something of our lives to each other. And then I want to ask you, I didn't really um, speak much about this, uh, but sometimes we can, we can rather, we try and motivate people out of guilt. Uh, Christians don't do that. Don't do that. Christians don't do Guilt motivation never works. Never works. Can we try and encourage each other and learn to to motivate each other less with guilt and more with the freedom that we have in Jesus? Yes? For the great freedom that is before us, this is why we throw these things off. The great liberty that we're walking into, that's why we throw these things off. That's why we refuse to give into anger and unrighteousness. I guarantee you, if you tell someone you shouldn't be angry... They know that they shouldn't be angry. It's the freedom that we have in Jesus that liberates us forward into every good thing. Amen?